0: So today I want to talk to you guys about shepherds and sheep. Say shepherds and sheep. I want to talk to you guys about shepherds and sheep. I'm going to real quick read Psalms 23, which I just read a moment ago. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in past of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you guys have ever heard that before? I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard that. It's an extremely popular passage. I want to talk to you guys about what it means for God to be our shepherd. Because when I hear that, I'm like, what in the world? The closest thing to a shepherd I know is I know if I drive down M6, just as I'm getting to the highway that goes towards Holland, there's some sheep in a little field right there. That's about all I know. So when I hear that, I think, great, what does that mean? Then anyone else have the same kind of thought? Like, what does it mean for God to be my shepherd? You all must know exactly what that means. That's awesome. So I'm going to preach this to myself and you all just get to sit there and listen. Okay, cool. So if you're taking notes, write down shepherds and sheep, shepherds and sheep. Right at the top, shepherds and sheep. Anytime I pull out a bucket a stick and a bottle of water, you know it's going to be exciting. Alright, how many of you guys have ever heard the verse and can finish it, the thief comes to kill, and I, that's Jesus talking, and I come to give life and life abundant. Anyone, can anyone tell me where that's found in the Bible? For a bag of Skittles? Yes, the beautiful lady in the third row, that would be my wife. John 10.10, 10, for a bag of Skittles. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I come that you might have life and life abundant. Jesus is talking here. Now, for three bags of Skittles, can anyone tell me what the next verse says without looking it up? Next verse. Next verse. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. My wife again. Yeah. Uh, John, It's interesting. Really, three bags of Skittles. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm handing those out. I'm not going to chuck them. Okay. Uh, It's interesting. A lot of us have heard this verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I come that you might have life and life abundant. And normally we kind of end it there. But really it carries on. The context carries on to the next verse. So Jesus is talking and he tells his peeps, right? He's talking to his people. He's telling his peeps. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And then that context, Jesus coming so that we can have life and life to the full, would carry over to this next statement he makes in which he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How many of you guys have ever seen the the picture of Jesus that has him with a sheep on his shoulders like this anyone ever seen this picture before or a picture like it yeah this is this is jesus being illustrated as the good shepherd he says i come that you might have life and life to the full and these paintings have been around for a really long time you could find them thousands of years old from right after when jesus was here of him being the good shepherd you notice He's there, he's with the sheep, he's got a staff, you know, so you know they're trying to say he's the shepherd. And he's got this sheep on his shoulders. And it's really interesting, because a lot of times we can look at this picture and I can be like, yeah, cool, he's a good shepherd. But what does that mean? What does it mean for, for Jesus to be the good shepherd? Better yet, what does it mean for me that Jesus is my good shepherd? So what I want to talk to you guys about is I want to give you two things, two positions that a shepherd does for the sheep. So if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, point number one, write a little dash or a one or a star or I don't know, whatever you want to do. And write down provision. The first thing that the shepherd does for the sheep is the shepherd provides. Right in Psalms 23, starting out right at the top, verse, verses 1-3, through 3, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a very interesting way to start it out. And for us, when we hear the word shepherd, we don't really maybe understand. We might have some just ideas of things that we've maybe heard over the years. But a shepherd is there to provide. And for this passage to start out and say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a pretty blanket statement, isn't it? It's pretty wide open. Well, I shall not want what? I shall not want a Mercedes, a Bentley Bentley or something. It just says, I shall not want. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's look at that second verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What are the two main needs of any living creature? Food and water. So this illustration here in the Bible says that there's a provision that's going to happen. From the shepherd to the sheep, the shepherd's going to provide make sure that the sheep has food and water. This is the basics of life, right? It doesn't say that the sheep have to go on their own and find food. It doesn't say that they have to go on their own and find water. It says the, the, the good shepherd makes them lie down in green pastures and leads them beside still waters. How many of you guys have ever been to Israel before? I can't put my hand up because I haven't been there. Uh, but my father-in-law was just there, and he was telling me about Israel. And I've, I've seen pictures, and I notice it. One thing about Israel is it's not a big grassland. I mean, there are areas of grass, but there's not miles and miles of grasslands like the plains here in the United States. It's a pretty uh, mountainous, rocky terrain, which means sometimes, especially when you get a big herd of sheep, are they called folds? Is it a fold of sheep? I think it might be called a fold of sheep. So unless you have a, if if you have a big group of sheep, sometimes it can be really hard to find enough food for these sheep. And it can also be hard to make sure that they have the water that they need because they're going to need to drink. They're not camels. They can't go days and days and days without drinking. So they need food and they need water. And the shepherd makes sure that the sheep have the food and the water that they need. I learned something this week. Sheep don't lie down unless they're persuaded to. Uh, It's actually kind of difficult for someone who doesn't know what they're doing actually to get a sheep to lie down because it's not going to lie down anywhere. It's not going to go find some cliff and lie down right next to it. Hey, this is a sweet view. It actually takes a little bit of effort. The, one thing that they really need to make sure that they have when they lie down is they won't lie down unless there's a good amount of food around. So that they can kind of graze while they're sleeping, I guess, you know. So they, and it needs to, it needs to be some place that, that they've got food and, and they need to be well hydrated. And they kind of need to be convinced to lie down. So it's interesting. And I can relate to this. It's hard, it, it's hard for me to take naps. I'm not a napper. If I fall asleep for two minutes and I wake up because something happens, I can't fall back asleep. So so I can relate to to, to this a little bit. It's sometimes hard for sheep to to rest and relax. Maybe they're kind of like anxious all the time looking around because I mean they're not very like strong looking animals. They look like probably snacks to a lot of animals. You know. Um so a sheep, it takes a little bit of convincing to lie down. It takes, it, it, it takes effort to get them to rest. So the Bible tells us that the shepherd makes them lie down in green pastures. This last week, Friday, I wish we would have taken pictures, but apparently we were having too much fun to take pictures. My wife and I, we got a babysitter for, actually we got two babysitters for our kids. On the way back, I said, we rented babysitters, and I don't know how that came out, but it was just kind of a funny way. Anyways, we got some babysitters for our kids, and my wife and I, we've never done this on our own. We've been there before, but it's always been when we're watching groups of students, you know, because we take – we've never been to Michigan Adventures, either of us, on our own. So we went up, and we, we got to, you know, go in there, and it was kind of weird because we walked in there. We got about 10 feet in like 10 feet past the buildings where the road splits and you get to choose which direction you want to go. And we looked at each other and said, what do you want to do? I don't know. Because we've never been here on our own. It's always like, we're asking you guys, you know, I think you've been to Michigan Adventures with us and you, you know, a lot of you guys were like, okay, everyone, what do you want to do? And they determined where we, but we got to go and just play on our own. And it was so cool because it was such a time of refreshing. Have you guys ever had a drink on like a hot day and you're like, Parch, uh, and you drink water and it kind of picks you up a little bit. It's kind of like that. It was, it was a moment in our life. We've been married for coming up on six years. We got, we've got a two and a half year old daughter. So for the past two and a half years, it's been really focusing on our daughter. And then we've got a one and a half year old son and focusing on him. And we haven't had much time to connect as us and just play and have fun. So we got some time to just go out and get refreshed, built up, charged up, you know, and beaten up a little bit. Uh, because of rides. We went on a roller coaster. My wife's stomach didn't like that. We went on Thunderhawk, which for me, that's a big deal. That's a that's a big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. I'm not a roller coaster guy. Uh, and if you look at the picture, I'm actually smiling in the picture. They caught the picture at the exact moment that I smiled because the rest of the time, I probably was terrified, you know. Uh, it, it, normally, normally you have a few minutes of like build up because you're in line and you're like, okay, you're pumping yourself up. The problem is we turned around the corner and we went up there and there was no one except five people and the ride had just ended. So we went right on. And I'm like, wait, I need my few moments to get myself pumped up and ready for this. I wasn't expecting this to go right on. And then you sit down and you grab that thing and you go, and then it's like the point of no return is gone. We now, I I can't get out of this. Even if I wanted to, they would probably not let me out unless I started crying like a baby. And we left the babies at home. So um, anyways, we we went and we just played. It was so much fun. We went on every water ride that they had. Everyone except the Sea Dragon. I don't know if you call that a water ride or a ride over water. That didn't look fun to either of us. Uh, but we went on every every other one, the Raging Rapid thing, Adventure Falls, which broke right before we went on. And we stayed there, and everyone else left. And so we were the only people, that, and we got the front seat, and it was really cool. I don't know why my wife wanted the front, but she did. And we went on all the tube rides, and there was this one tube ride that they take the tube up for you, and you sit down, and you get two people on a tube, and you go really fast, all this camera, hydro-something. Hydroblast. Thank you. Hydroblast. We went on that like seven or eight times, because it was like, hallelujah, we don't have to carry the tube up for us. That was cool. My cat. We went on so many rides that my calves hurt. They're good now. But we went on so many rides that my calves hurt, and it was so much fun. And you want to know, it was a time that God provided something for us where we could just disconnect, you know. I needed a moment to just disconnect. We've got camp coming up soon. You guys know that. Half of you guys are most of you guys are going to camp. And it was just a time when I could take this part of my body called my brain and shut it off. And just spend time with my wife. And I'm sure we looked really funny because all these kids are like, Why are you going on these rides? you know? Like we're 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 just the biggest kids there or whatever, you know. Um I think I heard Keith say that earlier today and I'm like, that's that's a good way to say that. We're just the biggest kids there. But God wants to provide moments where we can get refreshed or we can get recharged or we can get reconnected with him. God says that he's going to take and he's going to make sure that you have the, the necessities of what you need. He is going to make sure you have food and water, but more importantly than food and water, he's going to make sure you have spiritual food and spiritual water. He's going to make sure he's going to make you lie down, not in a bad way, but in a good way. He's going to make you lie down. By waters, or he's gonna make you sit in the tubes for the tunnel of funnel of fear, you know, one of those. But he's gonna he's gonna provide, he's gonna give you the things that you need. He's there for you, he's gonna make sure you have what you need. He is the good shepherd. If you're taking notes, Point number two is this. This is a really simple message. It's not profound. It's very basic. He's going to provide for you. If he calls you to do it, he's going to provide for it. Point number two is this. Protection. The shepherd provides and the shepherd protects. Psalms 23 verses, or verse 4, says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm going to read that again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds like a pretty dangerous place. The shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Uh, It's interesting. The rod and the staff comfort the sheep. That tells me that the rod and the staff are not for beating sheep. Just so you know. The shepherd isn't disciplining the sheep with the rod and the staff. I'm not going to hit you with my staff. Maybe I will. This might be a good visual illustration for everybody else. No, I'm joking. The, the rod and the staff are for protecting the sheep. The staff may be used to help gently guide a sheep in the right direction. If it's walking towards an unstable terrain or something, the shepherd might reach out with that hook part and like guide the sheep back. But the rod is going to be a shorter piece of wood, Maybe more like what we would call a club. And that's going to be for beating, but not a sheep. The sheep, I mean, honestly, like, close your eyes, picture a sheep. It doesn't look like a very fierce animal. It would win in a fight against an ant, a cockroach, a lizard. Not much, not much past that. Think about it. So you've got these... Pretty much defenseless little animals living out in a terrain where it's hard to find food and water. We've already discussed that. And also, there's going to be animals that think sheep look pretty delicious. Maybe not on a barbecue. I would think a sheep would be delicious on a barbecue. Uh, little, um, so the shepherd is there. The shepherd is there to protect The sheep. How many of you guys have ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Sure. Everyone should have their hand up. Those that don't have their hands up probably zoned out while I asked that. So I'll ask it again. How many of you guys have ever heard the story of David and Goliath? There we go. David and Goliath. David, Goliath, you know, big dude up against the Israelites, shouting profanities against God and all the people. Saul, king of Israel, scared, Right? Of Goliath, everyone else scared of Goliath says shivering in their armor. And you've got David, this boy, this shepherd boy, interesting shepherd boy, comes up upon the scene. Here's this, goes to the king and says, let me fight him. And the king says, you can't, you're just a boy. And what does David do at this point? He gives his credentials, right? He says, I fought lion, bears, all this stuff. He's fought all this stuff and he's defeated him. Shepherds are there to protect the sheep. How many of you guys have ever been to the zoo here? Have you guys ever gone and seen a mountain lion? It looks like, I mean, other than the fact that zoo animals are the laziest animals I've ever seen. But, they look pretty fierce. Uh, Where I hunt up north, I said this a couple times. Where I hunt up north, last year a mountain lion decided it was going to be a good idea to take its home and move it there. We have a mountain lion living Up there, I was at the zoo. I looked at the mountain lion and I said, I don't want to be in a tree stand when that thing comes around. See, a bear, if you're in a tree stand, a bear is going to look at you and be like, what is that dude doing in a tree? A mountain lion is going to look at me and say, look, a snack on a stick. You know, I'm defenseless even more when I'm in a tree with a mountain lion. A mountain lion looks at me and it's like, yeah, I could be up there in about that fast where a bear it's going to take a little bit of time. At least I could like start chucking my boot. At a bear or something, a mountain lion, if I saw it and it decided it wanted to eat me, it would be up in the tree stand with me. Um, yeah, I have a crossbow, but would you want to really take on a mountain lion with a crossbow? I wouldn't. Yeah, we may do this and we may record it. Because, no. Uh, so pretty much, pretty much, we can. what you can learn from today's message is sheep and Pastor Tim are defenseless animals. (laughs) Everyone else is okay. But a shepherd's got the responsibility of protecting the sheep. And it could come from protecting against natural things and animals. Think about it. A sheep, you've got stories in the Bible of like sheep going missing and getting caught and all this stuff. A shepherd's there to protect against a sheep falling off a cliff. But a shepherd's also there to protect and say, hey, there's a mountain lion or there's a bear or there's another animal that's going to come and try to harm the sheep. And the shepherd says, even, or the sheep can say, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of mountain lions, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of bears, I will fear no evil because... Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So my question to you is this. What valley have you been in? Are you currently in? Or do you see yourself entering soon? Where you could say, even though I walk through this valley, I will fear no evil. I will fear no this. I will fear no whatever. What valley... And any valley you enter into, whatever it is, any valley you can say, even though I walk through this valley, I will not fear, for God is with me. His rod and his staff are there to comfort me. He provides for me and he protects me. I once heard it said uh, something to the effect, something to the effect of, when you're 14. How many of you guys are 14? Anyone 14? A couple 14 year olds. Couple. 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 13. Uh, Okay. Uh, when you're 14, you guys will relate. You pretty much start to realize that you begin to know everything. You're pretty close to knowing everything. Most textbooks, you pretty much think you don't even have to start reading them. Uh, it's true. When you get to 18 and you're graduating, you actually realize that you know it all. You know everything there is to know because you are now graduating. When you're 20, you're graduating, so therefore you do not need Textbooks anymore. You know everything there is to know in the world. You could build a rocket to the moon, and your cell phone currently holds more computing power than the first spaceship to the moon. When you're when you're 18, you you realize that you actually know it all. Uh, when you're 23, you begin to doubt yourself, have a little bit of questions, and you think, "Well, I know most of everything, but there may be a few things that special." that that other people specialize in uh, more than myself, but I still know most of everything. And and then 30 hits. And I've hit 30. And when 30 hits, you realize that you pretty much know nothing. And, uh, (laughs) And you need help. And when you're 30 and you have kids, you realize that you really don't know anything at all. And you need lots of help. And textbooks are only good if they have pictures in them. Yes. Yes. Again, uh, and this is true. I can, I can, I can, I can attest to this. I, I realize not only do I not know everything, and I barely know anything, I realize that I cannot do everything. I do not have the physical ability to do everything. A good example is this. Uh, when you have kids... Which I pray blessings on all of you. And when you are married, did you hear that? When you're married, you will have kids. And when you have kids, especially guys, where are my guys at? Raise your hand if you're a guy. Uh, you guys, when you have kids, everything in you will want to do everything you can to protect your kids. Every moment. There's just something inside. It's that good shepherdness put inside of you. It's made in the image of God and you will want to do everything you can. And girls, you will too. You will too. But there's something about a guy, like you just want to handle the world. Have you how many of you guys can relate to this? If something breaks, you want to use your hands and fix it. You know? You just want to like you just wanna, you know, if 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 the bar needs bending, you wanna physically like bend the bar, you know? You just want to physically... Guys want to be... Ladies, this is something for you to know. And it's, this is good. This is a good thing. It can be directed in bad ways. But as a guy, you just want to physically handle the world. You want to physically be able to control your environment, if, if I could say it that way. So as a guy, you want to be able to physically handle the world. And as a dad, you want to be able to physically protect your kids at all times. The problem is... When you have kids, you realize more than ever that you have no control over most of your life. You don't have the ability to physically handle and protect your kids at all times. And I can talk about this with a lot of truth. About a year and a half ago, I think, just about a year and a half ago, my daughter was downstairs, uh, my wife and I were down there, my in-laws were down there, and we, were, we had just got done watching an uh, animated movie, I believe it was Tarzan, so we're hanging out, and my daughter is having a blast, we're eating blueberries, she's running all around, they're frozen blueberries, most of the way frozen, and she's running all around, and she's having so much fun, and as a dad, it's like so joyful to see your kids having so much fun. So she's running around. She's running around, and she she's running around the couch, and she keeps running and hiding over in the corner by the couch against the wall, and then running out, going ah, and then running back. Well, she's running around, and uh, and there's a beanbag, and she runs around the beanbag, and she's running into the corner by the wall and the couch, and she gets about about two feet away, and she trips over something. Just trips over the the carpet or whatever. She's running super fast, and she trips, and we have uh, a small baseboard on our. In our basement, and it's got like a corner on the top of it, and she hits, she hits right here on really hard on the on the baseboard, and she she immediately has a line right like that, a, a red line, uh, and she's crying. And I I do what every dad does, you know, I run over there and I I scoop her up because what do I want to do? I want to physically handle the problem, right? I want to physically control the problem and make it better. Uh, and I grab her, and I'm just immediately, Jojo, jo, you're okay. I start praying. i just try to, trying to calm her down because she's really worked up. Well, a few minutes later, my in-laws leave because it's really late at night. So they leave and we're sitting in bed uh, because we all do like family read our Bible time. Um, and she, she drinks milk out of a bottle. So we give her her milk and she's calmed down. She's, she's not crying anymore. Uh, and she drinks a little bit of her milk. And then all of a sudden uh, she threw up a little bit. Which I don't know if any of you are aware head injury and throwing up, hitting your head hard and throwing up together is, is, is probably a sign towards you should maybe get some things checked out. So we're sitting there and it's like, okay, well, maybe her, we're, we're trying to say, well, maybe her stomach just got all turned up because she was crying really hard. Uh, and so we, we just kind of hang out a little bit and then she throws up a little bit more. So now it's getting a little bit more throw up. And then we take her into the bathroom and we're cleaning her off and she throws up again. And so at this point, we're like, okay, let's call the, let's call the on-call nurse uh, for our doctor's office. So we call them, and they're kind of asking us, how is she doing? Is she alert? Yeah, she's alert. Does she look like she's kind of spacing out a little bit? Well, every once in a while, she kind of looks like she's looking past you, uh, but she's thrown up quite a bit. Well, they said, well, we're not sure. It doesn't sound really serious, but you should <clears throat> you should take her down. Uh, and get her checked out, take her to the ER. So we get her in the car, and we get going, and, and she throws up again in the car. And at this point, she's, you know, I'm sitting next to my daughter in a car seat. She's strapped in, throwing up. Not only throwing up, she can't get it all over her mouth, so I'm like unbuckling her and ripping her. You know, this is really traumatic. And at this moment, there is everything in me as a guy, as a dad. I, I've never felt this really before, but everything in me was, says, I wish I could just trade places with her. I wish I was the one that hit my head. I would hit my head gladly over and over again if it meant that she was okay. Because again, like what I say as a dad, that that, that good shepherdness that I've been created with wants to physically handle the problem. And at this moment, I can't. I can't physically make her better. All I could do is pray, have faith, and try to keep her calm keep her awake so we get down to the er we get in the er she throws up a little bit in the er and then she starts to look like she's passing out and i i can't describe the feelings inside at this point point. and some of you parents uh, would completely understand i can't even describe what it's like inside of me and just how i feel so helpless uh, and we, we 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 end up getting into the room and i remember the moment they took her back to get a ct scan they brought her back Uh, they brought her back to the room and I remember the moment the doctor came in and said that the reading on the CT scan was all clean. Everything was good. No serious injuries said she has a pretty good concussion probably. And I remember going home and thinking, okay, you said everything's okay. But my, my one and a half year old, almost two year old daughter is still experiencing this anytime too much stimulation, like light goes in the eyes. She's throwing up. And I said, "You said everything's okay, but I still can't physically handle it. The only physical things I can do is keep the curtains closed, keep her from playing too much. So that's what we did for five days. She was experiencing signs of concussion. So five days later, uh, we get her adjusted by a chiropractor, and it was amazing. She just got so much better. God, God did so many, so many miracles. Well." about four weeks ago, Wednesday night service in here just gets done. Uh, everyone kind of leaves. So we're, we're talking a little bit after service. Everyone, everyone's kind of piecing out, getting out of here. There's just a few leaders left in here and us with our kids and Pastor Daniel and Amanda and their kids. So it's pretty calm in here. Uh, I'm playing foosball with some guys, you know, with some people. Uh, and my, my daughter comes over and she's like, well, I want to I want to watch. So JoJo comes, comes over, and, uh, and she says, I want a stool. So, you know, as a dad, that's something I could physically handle, right? I could take care of that. So, so I kind of leave the foosball table, and I go, and I, I grab one of the stools, and I'm walking back over, and as I'm, about, I'm about 12 feet away from her. She's standing there kind of looking at the foosball table, and there's a leader that ran up to the foosball table to ask a question. And this leader turns around and takes a big, fast step to start running and runs right into JoJo. And JoJo kind of flies backwards and lands on the ground. Um, and it didn't look like it was that hard of an impact. What must have happened is she probably landed on her back on the ground. And then her, her head kind of went back and hit the, the – and, and if you go like this, you can feel that the ground in here is pretty hard. She hit her head on that. Uh, and immediately uh, the leader just – and the leader's a good friend of ours grabs her and says, Oh, Jojo, I'm so sorry. And I'm coming over there. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. And I take Jojo and she's crying pretty good, which is, which I mean, she, she got hurt, but when I'm holding her, she kind of arches her back and, and stops breathing. And at this point, the whole like that inside of me, I'm like, Oh my goodness, tunnel vision happens. All I could see is her. And I feel like I'm yelling in an empty room, but there's, There's about 20 20 people in here. And I'm just yelling, call 911, and no one's acting fast enough for me because I'm like... uh, So I yell, call 911, call 911, call 911, and I put my daughter down who's not breathing. Uh, And I get down next to her, and I yell for Rachel, and Rachel's running over. She's on the other side of the room. She's running over. Uh, And all I could do is think is start CPR. So I push a couple of times on her chest, breathe in her mouth. She kind of wakes up about halfway and then falls back asleep. Rachel's over there now at this point. And Rachel's a trained nurse and is probably the best person anyone has ever seen when it comes to emergency situations. Uh, she starts CPR. I'm on the phone with 911 at this time. I'm trying to describe what's going on. And the 911 officer's like, listen, I think we have five more calls on this right now. So you just do what you, need. you know." So I just kind of hung up and and uh, to make a really, really long story a little bit shorter, we end up saying the n- ambulance has taken too long. So we get her in the car, and I'm like yelling at my daughter. I'm sitting, again, deja vu kind of thing. I'm in the car. She's in her car seat. She hasn't thrown up or anything like that, but she's trying to go to sleep. She's trying to fall asleep because, first of all, it's late. She's just been through this traumatic event, and I don't know what's going on, but I am literally yelling at my daughter to keep her awake. I hope in Jesus' name that she cannot remember how much I was yelling at her to keep her awake. Um, my wife's driving. We get down there. And it's amazing. If you took a picture of what, what it was like at the event when she was stopping breathing. And then you looked an hour later. She looked better. God did a miracle. Then if you look an hour after that, she looks almost 100% better. God has done an incredible miracle. And then if you go another hour after that, we get our CT scan back, and it says everything's clean. In Jesus' name, yeah. Everything clean. Our chiropractor who adjusted JoJo before, really good friends of ours, end up coming to the hospital with us to see us there. As soon as we got the CT scan, which that's that's an incredible thing. Um, As soon as we get the CT scan back clean, he adjusted her a little bit, her thoracic right here. The next day, I cannot describe, the next day, Jojo woke up as if nothing had happened the night before. I've got a picture, actually. He put up that picture? When we got to the hospital, they decided it was appropriate to put her in a, a, a neck restraint. Well, when we were leaving the hospital, I said, honey, we paid a lot of money for that neck restraint. We're taking it home so Jojo could put it on her monkey. So this is Jojo the day after all this happened. So the night before, she stopped breathing. She hit her head real hard. The next morning, she wakes up, and I'm, I'm like, hey, Jojo, do you remember? You know, how you, and I was like, let's put your neck brace on. And her, name's, her monkey's name is Ah-Ah. Uh-uh. So I said, Jojo, let's put your, your neck brace on. Ah-Ah. Uh-uh. So I put it on there. You could see between her hands. And she's just walking around the house. Jojo's perfectly normal. She's walking around the house carrying her monkey. But the point is this. As the person responsible for protecting her, there was such a feeling of hopelessness. I could not do anything. I could not physically handle the situation. But God says, though you walk through the valley of head injuries, though you walk through the valley of whatever valley you could be in, you do not have to fear. And I could tell you that the only thing that brings me through moments like that, especially for my kids, I just uh, the only thing I can do is, God, why didn't this happen to me kind of thing? But the next thing is trusting the provision of God and trusting the protection of God and saying, God, even though I walk through this valley, even though I'm going through this, I will not fear. I choose not to fear. Because you are there with me. Even though I can't physically do anything, even though I'm helpless, you are there. God holds the position in our lives if we choose to let him as provider and protector. Our choice comes in of if we're going to let him be that. Because there's submission that happens there. If a, if a sheep chooses to rebel, the sheep is no longer underneath the care of the shepherd. If the sheep chooses to not listen, the shepherd can't do anything. If the sheep chooses to walk away, the shepherd can't do anything. So my question for all of us is, how are we doing at listening to the shepherd? John 10.14 says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, or I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. John ten twenty seven. this one's huge. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And then what's those last few words? And they follow me. The other day I was watching a video on sheep, a little documentary kind of thing. And there was this guy standing in the middle of this field that was full of fog. You could tell it looked like it was Israel, kind of very rocky, mountainous kind of terrain. And he's standing, and you could see about 10 feet, and then it's a sheet of white fog, gray fog. And this shepherd begins to do his call for his sheep. See, each shepherd has a different call that he'll make. And he begins to make his call, and immediately all you hear is just sheep buying from All over the place. And he just keeps making his call. And the sheep keep calling back. And he keeps making his call. And the sheep call back. And he makes his call. And the sheep call back. And all of a sudden you start to see all these sheep just emerging. Hundreds of sheep coming out of the fog. Because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The sheep choose to submit to the shepherd. Because they know that the shepherd is there to provide. And the shepherd is there to protect. They don't need to know why the shepherd's calling. They just trust the shepherd. They just choose to listen because they know that the shepherd's got their best interests at heart. We have to choose whether we want to. So we have the challenge of this. This is our challenge for the week. You ready for this? Our challenge for the next seven days is this. Asking ourselves, how are we doing at submitting? And taking it a step farther. How do we do at submitting to the Bible? Because the Bible is the word of God. If we're not submitting to the Bible, if we're not choosing to read it and apply it, it's pointless and God's not our shepherd. And how are we doing at submitting to the Holy Spirit? That's the still small voice in your heart. That's when God prods you to go up and talk to a friend. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart will never disagree with the word. God's voice audibly to you will never differ from what the Bible says. It will always be confirmed with the word of God. So how are you doing at submitting? How are you at following? How are you doing? There's a cool Psalms verse. Psalms 23. It's verses 1 through 6. This is what it says. Actually, why don't you guys... Close your eyes right now and just listen to this. Psalms 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside... I love that last line. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We all have a choice of how we're going to live our lives. God has given us free will. We could choose to follow Him wholeheartedly, 100% all the way. We could choose to follow Him 20% of the way. We could choose to completely reject Him. It's your choice you got a choice when you walk out of here. What are you going to do? But the Bible says, and is very clear, that on our own we can't do it. Jesus told his followers, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Romans tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't make it on our own, so we have a choice of whether we're going to allow ourselves to submit to the leading of God through Jesus Christ, or if we're not going to. The first level, the first act of submission is salvation. It's asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have made mistakes. The wages of sin is death. So we've got a choice. Do we want to pay for our mistakes, or do we want Jesus to? Jesus did it. He paid for It, it says, whoever believes in me... The Bible says, whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that he died and rose again will be saved. So you've got a choice. Some of you have done it before. Some of you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And some of you have put it off. Maybe you need to do it again. And some of you have done it. My question is, Have you personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? And are you living for him? So this is what I'm going to do. In a second, I'm going to count to three. If you'd say today you want to make that decision, you want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If that's you, when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. That's the believing in your heart. One. Two, three. Raise up your hand right now if that's you. You have hands going up. One, two, three. Hands going up. Here's what I want to do. If you raise your hand, I want you to look at me. If you raise your hand, look at me. This is what I want you to do. If you came with somebody, actually, we're going to have a little bit of time, I think. Just go ahead and stand up. And I want you to go to the back. And we've got some leaders back there. Just go ahead and stand up. And then you can just walk to the back. Lori's back there. Dylan's back there. The rest of you, I'm going to pray for you. The rest of you, I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to go ahead and be dismissed to hang out inside of the room. There's some pool tables and stuff, but I'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that you have calls specifically on each and every one of our lives, that you say that you will provide, that you will protect, Lord. Allow us to live lives that are just all about you and your kingdom. Teach us, Lord, what it means to submit to you in every area of our life and to allow you to be worshipped through every moment and everything that we do. We as your sheep, we as Christians completely submit ourselves to you in every way. We love you and we praise you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. amen. Hey, if you